Good evening. My name is Teresa Edmonds, and I am one of the programmers here at the Pratt Library, and it's a lot of fun meeting authors, trust me. Uh, on behalf of our director, Dr. Carla Hayden, and unfortunately she had a previous engagement, so she's not here this evening, and so I would like to say welcome again. Um, we are very fortunate this evening because this program um, we were given a generous um, grant from PNC Bank to do this Writer's Live program. And so we're also excited about that. Um, at this time, I would ask Rich to come forward uh, so he can introduce Sandy and Harry Summers. Thank you again for coming. Good evening, everyone. It's just a lovely room. I love this the Poe room. I've never been in here. It's not usually open to the public. So if you get a chance after, kind of take a look around. Some nice paraphernalia. Well, welcome. Um, we're here tonight to um, hear from uh, Sandy and Harry Summers, and they're going to talk to us about saving lives, why the media's portrayal of nurses puts us all at risk. Back in 2001, there were five grad students, including Sandy and myself, that had ideas about how poor the image of, uh, in the media was of nursing. We did a little bit of a literature review, and we didn't find a whole lot out there, but there were some literature, and what they really described about nurses was there was something called the stereotype of the battle axe. Anyone remember um, Nurse Ratched on one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Yeah, thought so. Uh, the naughty nurse. Anyone know a naughty nurse? It is that time of year, of course, where a lot of naughty nurses you'll be seeing on the streets next week, right? I just saw one today of the naughty nurse uh, in the Ebola, um, con you know, contaminants. Yeah, great. Fantastic. And, of course, the handmaiden of uh, physicians. If anyone's ever seen Marcus Welby, MD, or others, we can all name those. Uh, of course, we shouldn't forget, right, hot, hot lips, Houlihan. Right, right, right. Okay. So, yes. So, yes, those are... Uh, uh, not as contemporary as one would like, but when we started looking at contemporary you know, images of the, of the nurse, we found that uh, they weren't as good either. Um, ER, you know, one of the nurses wanted to advance. So what did she do? Instead of going back to nursing school and becoming a nurse practitioner, she becomes a physician, a doctor, right? Or a physician, as we like to say. So they'll talk more and more about this, but I just wanted to um, give a, a quick introduction about kind of the, the, the scope of things. Um, in the United States, there's about 2.7 to 2.8 million nurses. We're by far, and I'm a nurse myself, I should say, a public health nurse. We are by far the largest uh, healthcare professionals in the United States. Uh, that works out to about 920 of us per 100,000 population, slightly higher in the D.C., Maryland area areas, because we have a lot of hospitals. Last I counted, there were 13 hospitals in uh, Baltimore alone. Um, unfortunately, and what, what, one of my interests was in joining this organization and helping to uh, start uh, uh, the Truth About Nursing, which is really the organization that, that, that bred uh, saving lives, is uh, men in nursing. Or, as you might have heard uh, from Scrubs and Ricky Schroeder, if anybody's seen that one, the MERS, right? The male nurse, the MERS. One of my favorite uh, acronyms or, you know. Oh, yeah, because he had MRSA. Yeah, okay. That's only the nurses and the healthcare professionals in the audience will understand that. Okay, let's. <laughs> um, but that was definitely one of my interests. In terms of uh, where we've come with men in nursing since 1970, it was about 2.7% of uh, men in nursing in 1970. It's now about 96 
So in 40 years, we've come a little bit. That's good. It's a fourfold increase almost. Physicians, on the other hand, they were about 10% of women. And in uh, 2010, were they're about 30% men. So we're kind of where physicians were about 40 years ago in terms of uh, gender equality. So that's one of the things also that uh, was one of my interests in um, joining the Truth About Nursing. Sandy, right up here in front, is the executive director. She graduated with an MS and MPH from Johns Hopkins, just like I did. Uh, she was in 2002. I was in uh, 2001. Before that, she had her BSN from uh, Southern Connecticut State University, 1984. And she worked in the ED, the ICU. And she's lived in several countries, not just the United States. Um, well, and part of the United States, the, the St. Thomas, the U.S. Virgin Islands. She's been in Cambodia, New Zealand, and several other states. And literally... There have been hundreds of interviews that she's had over the years, CNN, 2020, to promote the book and also the truth about nursing and uh, defending nurses' image in the media. Um, and Harry is a lawyer and a, uh, one of the advocates for nurses who has been there since the very beginning. And I thank you very much, uh, Harry, for always being there. And they also have two lovely children in the back, Cole and Simone. Thank you guys for coming and hanging out and doing your homework. Uh, always important. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to have them go ahead and come up. And uh, just to say that Saving Lives, this is the second edition. Just so you know, 2009, um, the American Journal of Nursing awarded this book the Book of the Year. And in addition, the Sigma Theta Tall Nursing Honor Society had an international award, and it gave it the Excellence in Print Media Award in 2009 as well. So please, let, let's give them a round of applause. And Okay. We ha this room is large enough, I mean, small enough so that we can reach with our voices, but it's being podcast, so we have been instructed to speak into the mic, if you'll bear with us. And now, um, and in the meantime, it went to sleep, so this is a technological disaster. Isn't this a great way to start off? Hi, we're technologically messed up. Okay. That work? Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you all for coming. We really appreciate it. And thank you, Teresa, for the nice introduction, and Rich also for the nice introduction. Um, so, lovely turnout. Uh, may I ask for a show of hands who is a nurse? And who is not a nurse? Here the sack goes. Okay, wonderful. We hardly ever get people who are not nurses to listen to us, so this is really great. <laughs> And this is uh, one of our concerns that people don't know what nurses do to save lives and improve outcomes. So, you know, they don't think nurses do anything uh, all that special. So we want to reach more people from the general public with our message instead of um, just solely preaching to the converted. So this is wonderful. Um, just Harry. Harry has been always by our side. He's a very good writer, so he... Uh, you know, Rich and I and our other colleagues have all the drive to try to improve nursing's media image, and Harry writes it all up for us. So he's been wonderful. And here's our to. five that uh, Rich was talking about earlier, Gina Pistelka, Kelly Bauer-Jaffe, and uh, Christine Staten as well, our, our original five. And our current five is still the five of us on our board of directors. <laughs> Do you want to? Okay, so... Uh, this slide is kind of a 
very quick overview of uh, why, why we wrote the book and why the truth about nursing exists. Um, I guess it's pretty self-explanatory, but it's, it's what Rich was describing earlier. What we perceived and still perceive to a great degree is a huge difference between a lot of the media and how it presents nurses, and that runs the, the full scope of media, from the news media, sort of elite sources, all the way to the most sort of... Um, not elite uh, entertainment, media, and advertising. So we've looked at all this stuff, and um, what we what we have tonight is sort of an overview, I guess. An overview. So. Yeah. And now, now we have this terrible thing, Ebola. It is yet to, and perhaps never will, reach our shores. But if it does, we know what will happen. We will run to the hills. They will run into the room. He was talking about nurses. Sorry, I had to cut that clip in half. <laughs> so. Um, and I also meant to preface it before it's jumped in here, um, that who are nurses? Nurses, one thing about nurses is nurses have courage to, as he says, uh, you know, go into the room when people have a deadly illness, that we may not have a full understanding of how it is we're supposed to contain it, especially as in Ebola. So, And there has been some recent coverage, I'm sure you've seen seen some of it about the Ebola crisis and nurses working, working in it. Um, I don't want to hog all the slides. You go ahead. That's fine. Um, I, I think uh, some of the coverage we've seen about the Ebola um, response and issues related to it has been, uh, of course, it's a great public health problem and a crisis, but our job is to look at nursing. Some of it's been pretty encouraging for nursing because especially since the uh, infections in the United States happened, there's been a remarkable increase, a number of nurses speaking out, writing pieces about uh, the crisis both here in the United States and in West Africa, and also nurses being consulted by some of the media creators as people who w might know something about infection control, about how patients who have Ebola are treated. And I think uh, one thing that probably showed the media that nurses do have a critical role was the first two infections in the United States. So. Uh, on the other hand, there's been plenty of media that has suggested physicians are the only people who really matter in terms of treating Ebola patients. And so doctors is often used as a shorthand to include all healthcare workers involved in the care of Ebola patients. So I think that, that continues. But there's been some encouraging signs for, for nursing anyway. There have. So. so who are nurses? Many people do not know that nurses are educated in college. Most people think that nurses kind of bumble out of high school, get some couple weeks of on-the-job training, and there you go. That's really what most people think. But it takes at least three years to become a registered nurse. An associate's degree, most people can get an associate's degree in two years, but to become a nurse, you really need at least three. And um, about half of nurses have at least a bachelor's degree, and um, about 10% have a master's or a doctoral degree in nursing. So when nurses do their work, this is a cycle of what they pursue and how to do their work. First, they assess patients. 24-7, they're constantly monitoring patients, keeping an eye on them, on them. If they're not doing so well, they'll check on them very frequently. If they're doing so well, less frequently. So it's the constant surveillance that helps us identify problems and rescue patients before they get uh, too sick. And then there's the, uh, the evaluation, the decision-making. People don't know this, that nurses make decisions about how to take care of patients. Sometimes it's, um, you know, maybe the patient needs more oxygen or a certain type of medicine to 
help their breathing. Maybe they need to stand up and go for a walk to drive the calcium back in their bones, help increase the oxygenation to their lungs and prevent pneumonia. Sometimes it's complicated, sometimes it's not complicated, but there's uh, a lot of decision making going on in a nurse's head that is not apparent to most people in part because nurses do not talk about what it is that's in their heads. They make the assessments, they make the decisions, and it happens in their heads and you can't see it, so people think that nothing is going on there. And one thing we encourage nurses to do is to speak out loud about what it is they see, they think, they decide, so that people can understand there's something going on in the heads of nurses. Uh, And then nurses intervene, whether by accessing a certain medication or treatment or action, or uh, by educating patients. People don't know that it's our job to educate patients how to prevent the next illness, how to prevent the next you know, trauma, uh, and how to take care of themselves, especially with increasing number of diabetic patients, patients with heart disease. So it's a continuous cycle that nurses uh, go into. Yes, ma'am. Uh, am I speaking too softly? Um, how about if I put this closer? Is that better? That's better. That's better? Yeah. Even closer? Yeah. That's better. Okay. Sorry about that. Just wave your hand wildly if I should do that again. Okay. So this is what people think about nursing and medicine and who nurses are and what they do. People think that nurses are controlled by physicians, that we must do whatever they tell us to do. That is not true. We are autonomous professionals. We make our own decisions about what to do with the patients. And if it's, if, for instance, a physician writes a prescription for a certain medication and the medication is too high a level, the wrong medication for the patient, if it's going to interact with the medication that the patient is already on, it's our legal, ethical, moral obligation to resist such a prescription, go back to the physician and say, hey, we need a different medication. We're not going to give this to the patient. We, you know, we're, we are duty-bound by law, our code of ethics, our ethics to do this. And people don't know that based on what it is we see on television. And also, so that's why the nursing circle is within the medicine circle. And also the nursing circle is so small because this is what people think about how much knowledge nurses have. Nur- the people think Nurses know just a tiny subset of what physicians know. So this is not true. In reality, the knowledge bases are about the same size. We overlap in the middle. We have a lot of similar knowledge, nurses and physicians. But we have a lot of knowledge they do not have. They have knowledge we do not have. But we meet in the middle to collaborate and work together on a good day. Um, In terms of autonomy and power... The medicine circle is bigger because it wrongly has more power than nursing. This is partly why healthcare errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States, because nurses do not have enough power to resist a lot of physician ideas and prescriptions that are often dangerous for patients. So it is the job of nurses to grow the size of that circle until it's at least as powerful as the medicine circle. Not so that we can have power, it's not so... It's not like I'm power-hungry for nurses just to have power. It's like patients need us to have more power so we can protect them because we can't protect them well enough now. Here you talk. 
So um, we uh, aren't just making this up. There's actually been research about how often nurses appear in media stories, both uh, nonfiction, like reporting, and also fictional media. And so some studies have demonstrated um, over the last couple decades, really, the still relatively low number of times that nurses appear in health-related stories. They're still not consulted very much compared to physicians. They still don't appear as the main players in stories and, um, that address topics like Ebola, for the most part, or chronic care issues, any number of issues in healthcare. So, Right. Then a lot of people say to us, why don't you uh, focus on something that matters? It's just a television show. Get over it. I can't tell you how many times people have said that to us. We get a lot of, a lot of nasty emails. <clears throat> or a Halloween costume. <laughs> yeah, it's just a Halloween costume. Right. Get over it. Don't you like to be sexy, they say? Of course. So anyway, <laughs> there is research showing that the media affects the way we think. It's not just a television show. It matters. 90% of people uh, say they have learned about healthcare from television. Half of people learn about healthcare from dramas. And half of people trust primetime television to be accurate. One third of people took health actions based on soap operas. So if these are not accurate, it is actually affecting public health and the decisions people make about their health. This great uh, series of television shows, I have not had the chance to see myself, but 16 and Pregnant, Teen Mom, 2 and 3, found that after these shows air, uh, tweets, like on Twitter, they have uh, increased, um, tweets to find birth control increased 23% after each episode, indicating, you know, of course, the show is working in terms of scaring teens from... Uh, getting pregnant, right? Fabulous stuff. And it has accounted for one-third of the decrease in the overall teen birth rate decrease that has happened recently. JWT communication study in 2000 of 1,800 kids in 10 cities across the U.S., the boys in the focus group studies, when... uh, when they stopped paying attention to the focus group studies, when the conversation turned to nursing and then all the boys stopped paying attention. And the boys said, that's because it uh, no longer pertains to me, this conversation. It's about nursing. Nursing is a girl's job, they said. And they knew, this was in 2000, the only healthcare show on the air basically was ER. So they knew about the ER nurse's love life because pretty much that's all ER showed the nurse doing, um, but they didn't know about her professional life. I was just going to add that uh, the attitude that it's a girl's job is not limited to uh, 2000 because earlier this month in the new sitcom Blackish, that same sentiment was expressed by a precocious six-year-old future physician. <laughs> a female, yeah. Yeah. So. And private school students thought that nursing was too lowly for them. That kind of hurts. University of Dundee in Scotland, 2009 of the brightest primary school kids said that uh, nurses are brainless sex-mad bimbos, therefore they were discouraged from uh, entering nursing. Their words. Oh, okay. So the effects of the undervaluation of nursing is nurses can't teach. If people think you have no healthcare knowledge, they're not going to listen to your words about um, trying to educate them about how to prevent heart disease. Like, What does it matter coming from you? You have no credibility because they don't understand that we have any education. 
nurses are ignored in the policymaking settings. The you know, boards of trustees and hospitals hardly ever have a nurse on them. Um, and decision-making bodies within hospitals rarely include nurses, and uh, it's a problem. And healthcare is denursified. One of the major problems we have in the United States is that hospitals are increasingly using non-nurses to deliver nursing care. That, and when non-nurses make assessments, they don't know what they're seeing. They don't know that the patient is deteriorating, so the patient deteriorates because there's not a nurse there to do the initial assessments. Okay. There's this great Linda Aiken study from 2002, which was repeated a couple years ago. Same results. Found that when you double a nurse's workload from four patients to eight, patient mortality increases by 31%. So this indicates, of course, that nurses save lives. If nurses didn't save lives, you would double a nurse's workload and the patient mortality rate would stay exactly the same, right? The New York Times thought this was a self-serving study after this came out in 2002. Even though nurses have never done such a thing (laughs) as measure as to whether or not they're effective, the first time they do in 100 years, then it's self-serving. So you might be asking, well, as far as I know, everybody loves nurses, right? I mean, they're the most trusted, or at least that's what's often repeated. When, they say, when people say that, they're really referring to the Gallup polls, which are taken every year, and people are asked, are polled about which professions are the most, most ethical and honest, and nurses typically are on top of that poll, but it's, it's very important to focus on what, what that trust is. Trust in their ethics and honesty is not the same as respect or esteem for their skills as a modern profession, as other, other studies have addressed. Right. So there's the Pew Charitable Trust study on esteem, which you would think would measure who is most respected in society, but nurses <clears throat> were not even on the study. It wasn't clear to me if they were not, nobody thought to put them on, even though they're most trusted, um, or they just didn't rank anywhere, but they, they were not considered uh, substantive enough to put on this study. Um, in terms of funding for nursing, nursing residencies, even they are new, granted, um, so you would assume that the funding for them would be lower than that, which physicians get. But their residencies get $1 for every $375 that physicians get for their residencies. The National Institute of Health has $1 from the National Institute of Nursing Research, which is within the NIH. gets $1 for every $200 of the total NIH budget. And nursing education gets $1 for every 50 that physicians get. So if you want to put numbers on just how disrespected nursing is by society, these are those numbers. So in terms of how it is we got this way, um, let's take a look at the media and what the media does to depict the nursing profession. So we have in our, we just kind of went through chapters one and two in our book, What is Nursing? Um, Why does the media matter? (laughs) Why does the media matter? Sometimes I have big mental (laughs) blanks. I had one of those on the radio today. Oh, everything went out of my head. Maria had to rescue me. That's my job. Um, (laughs) 
So chapter three is the unskilled chapter. And this Walmart ad, that's several years ago, maybe 10 by now, 8, 10. On this cast, it says it doesn't take a brain surgeon to recognize a good deal on scrubs. So indicating, of course, nurses have no brain, right? It doesn't take a, much of a brain at all to recognize this. So I called Walmart and, yeah, oh, sure, yeah, we'll change it. <laughs> I can help, I said. Okay, great. So we worked on it together and they made a better ad. So that was one. They're very perceptive. So, of course, House is just a big joker, right? Um, but embedded in a lot of his kind of comments uh, about nurses in particular are some assumptions. Um, one of them is obviously that nurses are not very skilled. They're cleaning up. Another is that he created them. He is kind of godlike. We all know that. Um, but in particular, he created nurses. They are his servants, his handmaidens. And so often when House insults people, uh, the physicians he insults give it back to him, not so the nurses. And so that itself sends a message, and that's just one example. But This is a form of what we call physician nursing, where physicians do the care that nurses do in real life. So here, it's a group of physicians, no nurses at all, defibrillating. In real life, nurses are the ones who every day or maybe twice a day check the defibrillator, make sure it's working right and all the equipment is there. And when a patient comes in, we apply the paddles, we deliver the electricity, we make sure it, you know, the beat falls, the electricity falls at the right point on the squiggly lines. And... We are the ones to do that, except in the case of when you have to crack somebody's chest if they've been shot, and then they have little internal paddles. Then we give the paddles to the physicians because they're sterile and we're not. And okay, but we still push the buttons. (laughs) But we are the ones to do that. This is a high testosterone move. I mean, you've got to have courage, right? You've got to know what the squiggly lines mean, indicating you've got an education. This is... uh, so dramatic that it's um, almost on every healthcare episode on television, right? So when all of this drama gets put into the hand of physicians, it gives all the credit for nursing work to the physicians. You know, physicians, of course, do great work, and they deserve great credit for the work that they do. But they don't deserve credit for the work that nurses do. Nurses get so little. We need credit for the work that we do. Here's a physician, again, delivering high-tech ICU medication, a nitroglycerin drip. It's very complicated to deliver a nitroglycerin drip. You've got to set it up just right, use special tubing, deliver it um, a certain number of uh, milligrams per minute. It's actually been a while. I can't remember if it's micrograms or milligrams. since (laughs) I think it's been 15 years since I've given one myself. But it's complicated, and then we've got to titrate it and make sure the patient's pain is going away, but the blood pressure isn't too low. And a a lot of monitoring goes on in the delivery of this. This is work that nurses deserve credit for, yet physicians get the credit. So I believe what we have here is uh, a group of uh, surgeons on Grey's Anatomy providing 24-7 surveillance of NICU Uh patients. 
since evidently NICUs are staffed mainly by surgical interns, at least they are on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, in real life, of course, uh, the ICUs are typically um, nursing entities primarily, although, of course, physicians are involved providing their excellent care as well. So, but that's another, another example. And these shows, typically, most or all of the cast is physician, physician characters. And the way the drama works, at, certainly for Hollywood shows, is once you have a cast of characters, you're going to drive all the drama through them. So once the decision is made that that's the structure of the show, they're pretty much going to do everything. But unfortunately, it includes a lot of things that nurses and others do in real life. It's not just nurses. They do the work of physical therapists and social workers and a number of other people as well. So. So I'm sorry I did not preface that. So this was Eve Payton on ER. She was only on for about six episodes, and she had an RN PhD. And so, of course, there she was showing the physicians what was what about healthcare. And that was one of the very few times on ER that a nurse got thanked for anything. Mostly physicians got the thanks for everything, which usually tells the wider audience that physicians are the only ones who deserve any credit for the, uh, the work of the whole team. So we were happy with this. Unfortunately, she was not a major character for uh, more than, you know, very part of a season. This was part of a kind of a good cop, bad cop role we played with ER. We, were, we started off as the good cop in this. When we first got going in 2001, we had a conference call with ER. It took us at 35 telephone calls to get it, but once we were on the phone, Rich was there and Harry as well and the others. The, we had a co-executive producer and the medical advisor who was a physician. They had no nurse, medic, uh, nurse healthcare advisors. And, um, and so the uh, producer listened to us a little bit. The physician was pretty hostile. And from there, they didn't really listen to us too much after that. It was very frustrating. So we went to the outside track, and we started a letter-writing campaign and continued to send them our analyses over the years. And this was uh, something they created to try to temporarily appease us, though we're sorry they didn't leave her on the air. So I'm going to play that again. Watch this closely. This is also ER. So not a single word was uttered, yet the handmaiden image of nurse was driven deep into our subconsciousness with this, um, you know, of course, this character needed a stethoscope when he walked into the room, but he could have picked it up from the doorway, uh, you know, hanging on the doorknob or something. But the director of the episode uh, surely told the nurse character to wrap it around his neck as if, uh, you know, she had nothing to think about of her own besides, let me anticipate the equipment needs of the physician before, uh, before carrying on with, I don't know, I guess she just did that all day. She had nothing else to do. That's the handmaiden. Hey, Chan. Head start. Open tip tip. Pulse is weak and bright. Can you show me two fingers? Peter, two fingers? 
So here's Nurse Jackie. Does anyone watch Nurse Jackie? So, um, you know, this is pretty good. She's got her flaws. Certainly she's got a drug addiction. She had an affair with a pharmacist. So she's not perfect by any means. But you can't have a show about a perfect person and still be on cable television. So if you had some sort of angel character, you wouldn't have a show. So nurses kind of have to roll with the punches, uh, even though they don't want to. But let's look at what she did. She made this great assessment. She knew the patient was deteriorating. He had a bleed in his head, which is why he wasn't responding. The physician refused to listen to her. And he just wanted to focus on the leg, but you don't do that. You focus on the head first, the leg later if somebody's deteriorating. He didn't listen, so the patient died. And so this wasn't good for the patient, of course, but it was good for viewers because they got to learn this is what nurses do, this is what they see, how they advocate, and when you don't listen to them, you know, patients die. So uh, we like Nurse Jackie, and uh, sorry to say it will only last, uh, this is the last year? The, the coming season is supposed the, to be the last one. Yeah. yeah, so that's too bad. But it's been on six, seven yeah, years. Yeah, that'll six, make seven, seven. seven. Yeah. Here's someone to talk about? Sure. Ah, Gina Davis. Gina Davis, uh, some of you may know, is a highly skilled actress, very famous. Lately, she's been involved in creating this institute, which is devoted to improving the portrayals of girls and women in the mass media, uh, which she and people doing research uh, associated with her group. I don't think everybody can hear you. Just put it closer to lips. How's this? Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, have, have shown remains um, inadequate because it, it's still, there are still fewer female roles in commanding and authoritative um, for characters in films and television, and a lot of messaging still exists that tells girls that they can't uh, enter a lot of professions that have traditionally been male professions. Now she's on an extended guest arc as a surgeon on Grey's Anatomy, um, so we haven't yet seen any evidence that that her institute has uh, focused on the nursing angle. <laughs> but, no, um, feminists usually but, run from nursing. This is what they were able to escape from. They don't want to have anything to do with nursing. Right. But we it, consider ourselves feminists, of course. But. but it is another example of Hollywood taking seriously the effect that its products, even fictional products, have on the audience. And typically Hollywood is eager to claim credit when they can show that a particular media product has had a positive effect. Maybe it's raised awareness of a certain treatment or a certain condition. Um, perhaps uh, Kawasaki disease, right? Like a recent episode of Grey's Anatomy. There was a plot line placed on the show by the actress who was the guest star because her son was diagnosed with that rare disease. The plot line educated the audience about this disease. The symptoms often overlooked. So it was an intentional you know, effort to affect how the audience perceived a real-life health issue. And that's not uncommon. So? What was the name of the disease again? Kawasaki. Speaking, not speaking loud. Kawasaki. Uh, I'm not an expert no, on that, honestly. It's been a while since I looked it up. Anybody know Kawasaki? Sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> Some obscure thing I haven't checked into for a while. 
<laughs> so here's Whoopi Goldberg. She wrote a book uh, aimed at convincing young girls to become physicians. So she was interviewed in 2009, and she said in the interview, girls of her generation all heard that you have to be a nurse first. You have to be a helper. You can't be a doctor. Be a helper. So her idea about nursing was that we're just helpers of physicians, that uh, she didn't know, know that nurses are autonomous professionals. So I called her up and got her public relations person on the phone, and um, he was really angry at me because I dared to suggest that she did something that was politically incorrect, I guess, because Whoopi Goldberg is always on the side of the people and, you know, fighting injustice. So... Um, she called me back and left a message. I was out really, really angry. And then later, so I called her back, and then we talked for about 20 minutes. So the first 10 minutes, she was really, really, really angry at me and telling me everything. I didn't talk at all. I just let her talk. And then she started to listen, and it was great. So um, she actually paid attention to our concerns and promised to never portray nurses as helpers again. So it was actually kind of a nice interaction. <laughs> Uh, here's Jack White. This is okay. This so we was had fun. we had a different interaction with Jack White. Uh, we noticed that a song on one of his albums was called "The Nurse," and like many of his songs, uh, it was about betrayal by some female, seemingly in a romantic context. Although it was, you know, not too specific. But in the song. There was images about nurses and nurses, you know, as the ones who you would be surprised if they betrayed you, if they rubbed salt in your wounds, like maids should not conspire to kill. There was a lot of betrayal imagery, essentially, mixing in a lot of nursing. So we analyzed this and said, it seems to kind of reinforce some negative imagery of nurses as these sort of unskilled maid people, which is a problem. So... We, uh, we sent him an award, kind of a mock award, that award. <laughs> so we, have a, we have a 10 best, 10 worst media depictions of the year award. This is when our organization was called the Center for Nursing Advocacy. It's different now. But anyway, so we sent him this award. Yeah, we sent him the award. And what we really were, we didn't actually think that the song was about him, like, getting tortured by a real nurse in real life, we were basically saying, look, you're using this imagery, you know, metaphors to communicate your views, but you're employing stereotypes of nursing. It's easy. You probably didn't think about it. So then he had a reaction. He had a fit. <laughs> this is what he sent us back. <laughs> it's the Metaphorical Ignorance Award. He gave it to me alone. Um, right, which the, I was very, I was very the, put out that it was just for her. You know. For the outstanding inability to recognize metaphor and the ridiculous sense of ownership of the word nurse. And then he changed this to the Center for Lyrical Advocacy, Increasing Public Understanding of Poetry. And then he uh, signed it. Yes, and someday... Sent it from Nashville. Someday we're going to finance the uh, Truth About Nursing by selling that, but uh, it may not be worth enough yet. Oh, it's anyway. fading. You can hardly see it anymore. It's yeah. so sad. Yeah. yeah, it's Jack White. My next guest. She lost over 200 pounds. I can't say Teach me now. Okay. You know, we got to get sexy, so we got to, you know, be kind of sexy with it. Oh. That's Dr. Oz. So... And uh, that was, what, 2011, I believe. So he had this naughty nurse thing on this 
woman was not a nurse. And then the following week, so in between time, we started a letter-writing campaign to protest this. And the following week, they had another naughty nurse on. She was displaying herbs for some segment like Vanna White or something. So um, this was after we started our letter-writing campaign, and I called his public relations person. He did not answer the phone. Um, and the, pu- the public relations person said, I'm sorry, your feelings are hurt. It's like, <laughs> well, that's not really an apology, is it? Um, and you're not really sorry for anything because here's another naughty nurse depiction, and, you know, I want a real apology. So we issued a press release. After we got 200 letters, this is, this is our thing. We wait for the 200th letter, and then we can say in our press release, hundreds of nurses have protested. <laughs> so, um, so then the Associated Press picked it up, and then it went around the world, and he issued a, kind of an apology. So that was cool. And since then, he has had uh, some nursing segments on his show where nurses have been depicted with a brain. So... <laughs> Show me where it hurts. Yeah. Do you know where exactly it's very hostile settings? Failure to do so may result in an outright highly contagious lusty nurse fever. Ouch! Introducing tiny body spray for guys. Consider yourself warned. So this is, uh, I think this is 2006. Somebody told us about this. We tracked it down on the web, and then I called the vice president of marketing, and and the, his PR person, uh, his um, assistant wouldn't let me through. So we started a letter writing campaign. We got, uh, I think, 600 letters over about a week and a half, and then I called back, tried to reach the uh, marketing vice president, and then I could get through. And we talked on the phone. He said, oh, yeah, sure, we can remove it from the air. And so they did. So sometimes... You know, they won't listen to me when I just call on my own, but if I have 600 letters behind me, they'll listen to me. So that was great. Here's Sean Hannity. <laughs> I'm so- <laughs> Here, do you want me? I'm sorry. Here, I can blank it out so you don't have to look at them if you want. <laughs> it's not a positive thing. I don't know how to work that. So he had this... this uh, this show where he had a soldier on the air who was in Walter Reed Hospital. And um, I guess he was there for some time. And so Sean Hannity asked the soldier uh, to tell him about the nursing care. And then uh, the soldier replied something, and then Sean Hannity said, well, are the nurses, were the nurses hot? And so the soldier replied, uh, no, they're kind of maternal or whatever. Anyway, somebody told me about this, and then... um, and then, and then I called him shortly after, like 20 minutes after, and I got him on the phone. He actually picked up the phone. So I started telling him about my concerns, and he said, oh, no, this is good. No, I understand. My, I have two sisters who are nurses. I said, are they hot? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, oh well, I, don't know. I guess they kind of are, making him think about whether his sisters are hot or not. So um, anyway, he promised to not do that again. Whether he has, I don't know. I don't monitor his show. <laughs> Here's the Heart Attack Grill. Has anyone heard of it? In 2006, they used to be in Arizona, then they moved to Texas. Now they're in Las Vegas, their natural home. But this is all about having quadruple bypass burgers, all this meat and fries cooked in lard and disgusting food um, that you should never eat. But the waitresses are dressed in naughty nurse outfits. 
So we launched, a, I called them on the phone. John Basso is the name of the, the owner. But he, he couldn't deal with the telephone, so he hung up on me. So we launched a lettering campaign, and we had more global media coverage for this than almost anything else. And uh, unfortunately, made his business boom. But it also helped to spread you know, word about our concern about the naughty nurse image across the world. Um, so he has been uh, a problem. So that was 2006. I was just in Las Vegas in August and stopped by for a visit. So that's him and me. We pose for a picture. <laughs> so, yeah, if you weigh 350 pounds or more, you get to eat for free. He insists that his work is helping to improve public health so that we don't need so many nurses because uh, when people come there to his restaurant, they will get so disgusted by the food that they won't eat like that anymore. But uh, I didn't really buy it. But he's still your biggest fan, right? He was so happy when I came knocking on his door. So happy. (laughs) Sandy Summers, he said, you made me. It's like, oh, great. Thanks, John. (laughs) Anyway, but it, we did help to get our message out through this. And, you know, in the mid-zeros, 2005, 6, 7, there was a whole lot of naughty nurse imagery that we consistently went after and got a lot of press coverage out of. And since then, there has been, you know, it has kind of waned. There's been a recent, in the past couple of months, with a subway ad featuring a naughty nurse and this Klondike ad featuring a naughty nurse. But for the most part, the ads have kind of waned. Yes. Send hate mail too, yes. Oh, yeah, he does. He has all sorts of, uh, he's, I don't know, all sorts of ostentatious signs in the windows. <laughs> he doesn't have yeah. a telephone because he doesn't want to deal with people calling him up and right. harassing him. <laughs> this is Canada's Nielsen Dairy. They were using these naughty nurses to sell milk to children. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we launched a re- lettering campaign and they stopped. Okay, so this is uh, the most interesting man in the world. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the... It's Dos Equis, right? Dos Equis. Dos Equis uh, beer ads. And this is a character who, who's been in ads for years for them. One of the ads, though, featured this scene in which he's bench-pressing nurses in chairs. At a wedding or something. Yeah, at a wedding. Uh, so... We contacted uh, Heineken, right? They he- own, Heineken owns Heineken owns Dos Equis, or at least did at that time. And apparently, there is an entire process to challenge advertising produced by at least some beer companies. And there's like a code they have to the follow. Beer Marketing Code of Ethics. That's right. So uh, they, the person there was sympathetic enough to encourage us to pursue this kind of almost legal process, which we did. And uh, we appealed to their uh, various elements of their corporate code of conduct uh, to an independent board, which included Geraldine Ferraro, the uh, former vice presidential candidate. This board passes on ads that are challenged uh, under this beer industry code for Heineken, and we prevailed. They digitally removed the nursing signifiers from the ad. (laughs) So... (laughs) So they removed the caps and they changed the dress color frame by frame. They went through and did this. It was cool. We, I mean, they got to keep their ad. I, I like their ad. So, and uh, we got to 
you know, have the removal of the naughty nurse. Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's another example of different type of advocacy, but yeah. So that was chapter five, the naughty nurse, which is the most entertaining. Chapter six, the gender issue. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, as Rich, I'm sure, uh, may have views on this as well, the Meet the Fockers movies may be the most prominent uh, man in nursing in recent films, and they're very successful films, three films. Um, kind of mixed, I think. The character uh, has some good qualities, particularly in the last film. He's a nurse manager. He's strong, smart, um, capable. Of course, he's prone to comic misadventures, and he also, particularly in the first film, absorbed a lot of abuse, like sort of male nurse stereotyping. And in the second film, he was kind of presented as mediocre. You found out about his family life, and it was clear that he wasn't someone who excelled. He wasn't pushed to excel. So that, that sort of wasn't great imaging for men in nursing. But um, I think that there's still a perception that nursing, our chapter title is Yesterday's Girls, that nursing is a job for yesterday's girls. That is not for modern, modern smart, ambitious women and not for men. So, Right. There's a lot of stereotypes about men. Um, and I'm sure Rich has heard them all, is if they can't hack medical school uh, and they're not real men. Um, but it's increasingly uh, difficult to get into nursing school. Nursing school is a huge challenge to get through. It's very difficult. And, um, and not everybody prefers to go into the field of medicine. I, for one, prefer the um, nursing model, how it is we take care of patients and make them better. And when you say somebody, you know, that you're not a real man, uh, as if the only worthwhile profession is medicine, a health profession is medicine, that's some sort of indication that you think that nursing doesn't matter. Uh, but as I mentioned before, nurses save lives. And the lives that nurses save are just as uh, worthwhile as the lives that physicians save. So, you know, we prefer the nursing model, then we need to go into it, no matter our gender. Here's chapter 7. We can still hear that heart, all squishy with compassion, That was a... Does anyone want to guess? Who, who put that ad out? Who would you guess it wasn't the people who made this collectible figurine? I'm sure they did. And a lot of the people who produce media we have a problem with, including some Hollywood shows also sometimes have things that are much more positive, and that's true of the Johnson & Johnson campaign as well. We've had major issues with some of that stuff. We'll maybe see a little more. Do we have it in here? No, I didn't we don't. Um, Johnson & Johnson, for more than a decade, has sought to improve the nursing, well, at least recruit nurses and resolve the shortage. Some of their ads, though, have been extremely angel-oriented, very soft and kind of conveying to people things that they really already know about nurses, which is that they're nice. Um, the ads we liked better from them, just like you're saying Kaiser must have done, are more um, conveying what people don't know as well, which is that nurses are highly skilled, that they save lives, things like that. Some of the harder things that people may not know. So, anyway. When you're an angel, you live in heaven, right? So you don't need to pay the mortgage or rent. And when you're an angel, 
I'm not really sure about this, but either you don't eat at all or you eat manna from heaven. One of those two. (laughs) But either way, you can work a 16-hour shift and not have to stop for uh, anything to eat or drink um, or to go to the bathroom. And a lot of hospitals ask nurses to work 16-hour shifts or, you know... um, or mandatory overtime, as if you don't have children at home that you have to go home and take care of. Yes, ma'am. Well, like they said, nurses are selfish. Right. <laughs> they certainly are, yes. <laughs> yeah, you, you could analyze it more cynically than it's, that it's just reinforcing bad imagery. It's, <laughs> but that's, that's for another time. <laughs> Chapter 8. So this is chapter eight, the battle axe. I'm sure I didn't have to tell you what I didn't have to tell you, right? What stereotype we were going into. And so here's this nurse who's standing by the bedside of a seizing patient doing nothing. What kind of nurse would do that? You know, not anybody who should have a job, right? So, and preventing somebody from trying to rescue these, uh, this little baby. So, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went with my daughter on a week-long camp. And um, I had to, t- since I'm a nurse, everybody in my little circle I was chaperoning, you know, came to me to take care of them. So then I would deal with them first, and then we would go to the nursing office where there is uh, three nurses, only one on at a time. But I'm sad to report that at least one of the nurses who I met there was a battle axe. So it's very hard to overcome the battle axe image when, in fact, some nurses seem to be embracing this. No, I wasn't allowed to sit with the Little children, they had to be left alone. No, I wasn't allowed to ice a, an injury before I moved her. So, um, you know, there are real nurses out there who behave like this, and it is so sad uh, that it happens. You know, stereotypes sometimes have some basis in truth, which is how they grow out of control, but we would hope that nurses would uh, grow beyond this, and most nurses don't behave like this, you know, so this is, or like the one I met at camp. Yeah, I, I think this this here, this depiction may seem less obvious than like Nurse Ratched mentioned earlier. But this is more like the evolved battle axe, trivial hospital rule enforcing battle axe, just not cooperative, an obstacle to the heroic physician character. So <clears throat> that's um but as you as you point out, for all the stereotypes that we talk about, it's possible to find a nurse here or there who may resemble the stereotype. It's possible. It's not like they can't exist. It's just that when the media image is overwhelmingly some combination of these, um, that's something we don't, we hope, is not realistic and we think is very damaging. So There are also bad versions of physicians out there, but their major image in the, in the media is not one of nothing but stereotypes as the nursing image generally is. So, of course, there are some bad apples, but that doesn't mean it has to dominate your public image. Uh, Chapter 9. In 2002, the Office of Minority Health launched this Take a Loved One to the Doctor Day campaign, and our group had just started. And I called them, and several of us wrote letters. Um, So I called them on the phone and asked them to change it to something that didn't have the word doctor in it. 
Um, it, it's, to, it's aimed at minorities to try to help them get more preventative health care. So the woman on the phone said, we're not changing it. It market tested well. We're keeping it. So two years later, the um, uh, Nurse Midwife Association, uh, I'm forgetting, American College of Nurse Midwives, uh, encouraged us to go after them again. So we did, and this time we got all the email addresses of the decision makers, and um, we had 300 letters go out. And then I was able to get a phone call with the director of the Office of Minority Health. And once we were on the phone call, he said, oh, yeah, sure, we can change the name. So sometimes we just need to get enough letters so we can get the phone calls. And in the phone calls, I can usually, not always, um, get people to change their media. Also, he was a physician. Yeah, yeah, but he listened. (laughs) Some some physicians listen. We actually have friends who are physicians. (laughs) This is American Family Care. They're like a clinics down south. So one of their ads, this was on television, this, these people texting each other back and forth. The first one says, uh, you, should, you should go to American Family Care. Why American Family Care? You get to see a doctor, not a nurse. Implying that the care of advanced practice nurses is uh, not as good as the care provided by physicians, even though a large body of research shows that the care provided by advanced practice nurses is at least as good as that provided by physicians. And when you look at the care provided by nurse midwives, their care is far superior to that of OBGYNs. So I called them on the phone, and I got a physician who was uh, one of their leaders. He was really pretty hostile. No, we're proud that we have just physicians, and I just think physician care is better. It's like, well, what about the research? Aren't we supposed to be all about evidence-based care? No, physicians just provide better care. Well, what about the research? Uh, uh. It was hard to deal with him, but he promised to stop making these ads very reluctantly. At the same time, that company's website includes advertisements for positions for nurse practitioners. (laughs) I forgot that. Here's uh, Rebecca Patchen from the American Medical Association saying that if folks want to practice medicine, they should go to medical school. So indicating that she thinks nurse practitioners should not even exist, even though there are tens of thousands out there providing care. Many of them provide care in rural areas where physicians don't want to go. But nurse practitioners will go and provide care these huge swaths of land that have no health care, but nurse practitioners have now provided it to people who once were without. Here's the nurse practitioner. Mattel put out this doll in 2005. And uh, so I called the vice president of marketing on the telephone and said, Did, does anybody there realize that you're insulting nurses? Do you know the word quack means incompetent healthcare professional? She's like, no, no, it's a duck. Duck's quack. Like, really? Nobody there knows the word quack? Uh, duck's quack. So she was really hostile. Um, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't recall it. I even convinced Walmart to sell all of their dolls, their nurse practitioner dolls, back to Mattel, but Mattel refused to buy them all. So we uh, launched a letter-writing campaign, and, well, I don't have any. We didn't really succeed, except they did have a fourth-quarter earnings loss, first time in 10 years, which made me happy, but I'm not so sure we can, <laughs> I'm not so sure we can take all the credit for that. The, but. the other element of that campaign, though, was that there was a group of very vocal physicians from the United Kingdom who weighed in on Mattel's behalf and encouraged them to keep selling the doll because it would reveal the truth, which in their opinion was that nurse practitioners are in fact quacks. 
and they were very vocal in public about it as well. So. Yeah, we went back and forth with them for months. months they were so yeah. hostile, yeah. extremely so. aggressive, nasty, rude, really awful, and very public on their huge discussion board in uh, the UK. Yeah, it was incredible. So how can we change it? Chapter, chapter 10 talks about how everyone can change it, whether you're a nurse or not, how we can change the situation that is causing the undervaluation of nursing, which drives the global nursing shortage. It's driven by people don't value nursing. They don't understand nursing, so they don't value it. If they don't value it, they don't fund it. And this is why the Ebola crisis have, has gotten out of control. We don't fund enough nursing care to prevent all the illnesses that we are able to prevent if there would just be enough nurses funding in every little county in the world. This is my vision of how we can improve health, but people don't uh, put enough money into it. And then we wouldn't have Ebola here at all. You know, it'd just be confined to a couple patients in Africa, and that's it. Could have eliminated it as we have the other outbreaks. So one way we can do it is by paying attention to what it is that we uh, see nurses do. Um, we can change the language that we use surrounding nursing. For instance, a lot of uh, physicians uh, and nurses themselves use the word orders to talk about prescriptions, which is really what they are. They're, maybe you write a prescription for a medication or a treatment procedure, but it's a prescription. It means that people are allowed to carry it out. You're allowed to get this medicine or you're allowed to do this treatment. But you're not commanding somebody to do anything. If it is not advantageous for the patient, nurses are not going to carry it out or else we would be you know, committing malpractice. So we encourage people to use the word prescriptions instead of orders. Um, we use the word physicians instead of doctors. There are plenty of nurses who are doctors and pharmacists and uh, many other healthcare professionals. So using the word doctor to talk about a physician implies that uh, only, uh, only physicians can earn a doctoral level education, and it uh, discounts the level of education that other professionals uh, have. We use healthcare instead of medicine. Medicine is what physicians provide. Healthcare is what all healthcare workers provide, and nurses provide uh, nursing. And we use the word practice instead of work as a nurse. Work as a nurse sounds kind of a, a lower-level job practice. Professionals practice what they do. We have many others uh, online on our website, truthaboutnursing.org. I'll just skip over that one. Some good uh, media that's out there. We encourage people to create positive media about nurses. Call the Midwife on BBC. Anybody watching it? It's a good show. Yeah, it's a good show. It won our uh, top prize, best 10 media depictions of the year award last year. Angels in America, that's a little bit old, but it was a HBO six-part series featuring nurses. Very good. Uh, Wit was also very good for nurses. So people can create positive media featuring nurses. There are these nurse shadowing programs at Dartmouth where medical students follow nurses around over the course of the semester. And at the, if you heard me on the radio today, I was talking about these, but the medical students come into the program thinking nurses think all these stereotypical ideas about nurses. And when they leave at the end of the semester, after having followed nurses around, they come out with a true appreciation for what it is nurses do. And in order for us to collaborate better as uh, professionals, 
you know, we should engage in these programs, that all medical schools should have such programs where they follow nurses. Talk. I'm just talking. You can talk. No, that's fine. So um, another thing we talk about in the book, things that people who are not nurses can do, uh, is to be more open to nurses in positions of power. Of course, everything we're talking about, and we'll get to this in a minute, we do think nurses should take the lead, and it's mainly their responsibility to uh, improve their image and, in the end, their status. But people can be more open to nurses in leadership positions, and we've seen some encouraging signs. Um, I think nurses may have served in higher levels in the public and private sectors than, than in the past and maybe the last decade. But obviously, a lot more can be done. You did an analysis, I think, Sandy, of the uh, boards, like leading hospital boards, and there's virtually, here we go. Right, of the top 17 hospitals as ranked by U.S. News and World Report, and found that most hospitals had between zero and one nurse on their uh, boards of directors. But hospitals exist to provide nursing services. If you didn't need nursing services, you would be going to an outpatient center. The only reason you're in the hospital is to get nursing care. And so to have these nursing institutions um, be run by people who are almost exclusively not nurses makes no sense, especially when it comes to if your goal is to deliver excellent patient care, which it should be if you're a hospital, you should have at least half your board be nurses, in my opinion. As opposed to lawyers. <laughs> or business people. I don't know who they are. <laughs> They're not nurses. So uh, in Chapter 11, we talk about ways that n- nurses can transform the status quo. And uh, we suggest this as a nursing attire. Kind of looks like this. These house dresses my aunts used to wear in the 1950s, right? Same, same, same. Okay, I'm just kidding. We're just kidding. So <laughs> this is awful. They don't. People like don't look educated when they dress like this. So instead... This is something you can look at these people like, yeah, they went to college. These people did not go to college. (laughs) Okay. Um, So we have these patches. The Fabric Workshop Museum in Philadelphia actually created these, some artists who had an exhibit there. And with their permission, we morphed them and added credentials because one thing people know is, as I mentioned before, that they don't think nurses have a college education, so with the patches, we can help educate the world that nurses did go to college. Nurses can help by introducing themselves with their first and last names. Sometimes, you know, like puppy dogs don't have last names, but professionals should have business cards and last names. Shake hands. Do the things uh, professionals do. Nursing out loud, we encourage nurses to, when you make an assessment, uh, you... Articulate it out loud. Tell people what it is you see, you hear, what you think, with the decisions you are making so that they come to understand what is inside of a nurse's head. We encourage nurses and other people as well to create media, books, stories, TV, films, kids, especially kids' literature. Almost all the kids' literature out there is uh, aimed at getting them to become physicians. Did you want to say something? Right. I think that's, that's right. And you know, it runs, and by creating media, we're including the full range of media, including nonfiction pieces. A lot of the influential media about healthcare is actually written by physicians, both the, both in sort of the news media and also in Hollywood, actually, or heavily influenced by them. A lot of the well-known authors uh, who write about healthcare, Sanjay Gupta, um, uh, Gawande and Jerome Groupman, uh, there are any number of Sherry Fink at the New York Times. There are a number of physicians who create very compelling media, but of course it does reflect their vision of things. 
their kind of physician-centered view of the world. And unless they're unusually enlightened, enlightened about nursing, it often will contain a lot of things we have issues with in terms of presenting all of healthcare as kind of a physician enterprise. So, but if nurses played a more active role in creating media like that, then I think that that public image would shift. So we encourage that, you know. It used to bother me when we first got started with this mission um, that people would send us all these hate mail or laugh at us or something until I ran across this quote by Gandhi. He, He said, talking about social change, how you create it, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, and then they attack you, then you win. So then I was like, oh, cool, people are laughing at us, attacking us. That means we're almost there. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> anyway, we believe we can change the situation. We can do it if you help us. Thank you so much for coming to yes, see thank us. You. We have uh, questions. I think you had here. Um, Miss Teresa is going to, I think, distribute the microphone. Hi. I'm a um, second career nursing student. I didn't raise my hand at the nursing part. Then I didn't know when to raise my hand. I'm like, (laughs) I don't know what I am right now. But... um, Thank you for your lecture. I I agree that nurses from day one have gotten a bad rap in the media, but as far as it looks to me, most professions aren't portrayed well in the media, to me. I mean, House, I won't watch House because I've never seen a doctor act like that. I just won't watch him. My thing is, it is super important for me that that the patient sees that I am a professional. So one of the ways that we've been, um, it's been suggested that we remedy that is we do shift report. I like to call them nursing grand rounds, really. But to do that at the bedside so that the patient can hear what you're saying. They can hear um, language that sounds very much like other professionals in the healthcare field. Um, And then incorporate the patient's sort of views on their plan of care or whatever into the conversation, which a lot of doctors don't really do. I mean, they have their discussions about the patients outside of the room, and then they go and they find out how the patient's doing or whatever. They may have conversations there, but often I haven't seen it. So that's one of the things that we've been told to kind of remedy the way the patient sees us. Um, You know, I could write letters all day to these folks, and Honestly, your hands are going to fall off because you're going to be writing letters like forever because it, I think it's always going to be for, for any profession. I mean, lawyers, I'm, God, they should be writing letters all day. To, to, they're really portrayed awfully in the media. Um, I guess I'd have to differ with that. I mean, they're portrayed as powerful, smart, able and in many cases, they're saving lives, right, in criminal defense context now. Of course, they're also kind of deceitful and sneaky and twisty. But is, but that, no, I, but I is that really presented badly? Gotten, like, yeah. really bad. Sneaky and twisty is good in prime time. I think a number of professions, and medicine's the obvious one, physicians are, 
are portrayed well. But it sounds like some of what you're talking about, at least although it's patient-focused, it also could operate as nursing out loud, right? Because I think right. if you're sharing the way you're thinking, you know, the patient's getting it. And you're doing the same thing that we're suggesting, actually. It's just you're doing it one person at a time. And what we often find is that people say, you know, you guys are doing this thing. I don't think that makes that much sense. How about this other thing? Well, that's great. Do that other thing. And we think that's great. And we, we think it's important to follow a number of different paths because I think that's how things could change. So. Yeah, yes, sir. Um, I um, have a question and a, also a comment. I, um, I'm a big Downton Abbey fan. And there was uh, the first two seasons or the third season when they were coming back from the First World War. <coughs> one of the characters that got killed off, which I hate because I loved her, she was a nurse. And I thought they did pretty good job with her. I thought she, and that's the beginning of nursing was around that time too, right? So, right, not so bad. Thought, yeah, sure. Um, there, there was actually uh, two. Actually, Mrs. Crawley, right, the Matthew's mother, oh, was a nurse. Yeah. And at least in the early episode, she was very powerful. She had some good ideas and got respect from the physician who it later turned out kind of had a crush on her. Um, so she then got a little bit shrill and wasn't so great, I think, in later episodes. But me, I'm not sure if it's the nurse but you're talking about, mean, but one of the daughters. Sybil. Sybil, right. She was a nurse. And then uh, the show we didn't love as much that the show kind of suggested that all the daughters were providing nursing care, even the ones who didn't really have any training, mm-hmm. by just kind of bringing things to the wounded soldiers. So that, that we found was like a little more troubling. Yeah, it was she sort had of, the most knowledge. So they, they had that in the show. Yeah, I think that the show, it wasn't, it wasn't bad overall. So. And also, what do you, um, uh, definition of a battle axe is, I still didn't get that quite. What does that mean? Definition of a battle axe: someone who's mean, sadistic, wants to hurt patients. You know, doesn't really want to help them. But I think it's not even not even just that. But someone who has authority. It's a female in nursing who has authority, and I think we think some of the roots of it relate to a fear of women in authority. So if there's a nurse, a female nurse who actually has some authority, contrary to everything that should be, some crazy situation. Well, then she's got to be sadistic and threatening and more interested in hurting patients than helping them, because that's how we can kind of reconcile that with our vision of nurses and more broadly women. They really shouldn't have so much power. And if they do, it's a problem. So. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah thank you for that. That was very uh, interesting. A couple of things. Um, so a lot of the media that you were talking about, especially when you're talking about television, films, the settings in which nurses are operating is largely, many ca- most cases it would seem, a hospital. A hospital is a very regimented institution that runs on the medical model. So we're, nur- and I agree with you, nursing is undervalued even though nurses do much of the work. So. So how do you talk about the nursing role in a hospital, you know, is very complicated. And it was interesting to hear this um, student's description of how rounds are doing. I actually heard a president, I work in a hospital, although in an ambulatory setting, and someone gave a presentation in rounds about how they're on the floors at their hospital in the Midwest, they were doing rounds differently to make it more disciplinary, not so physician-driven. So I guess the larger question is, um, and as a nurse, as someone who's been a nurse for 23 years, but has not has spent most of my career not at the hospital bedside, 
in the community, I've worked overseas, I've done many different things. So how do you sort of talk to the public about you can do many different things with nursing. I don't regret being a nurse at all. But you see what I'm getting at, sort of that you can get your doctorate, you can be a nurse anthropologist, you can do, I mean, you, it really is very wide open. So that's sort of um, part of my like, question slash comment. And sort of related to that, I think, is the whole educational piece. And I would be curious as to what your view is, is on the whole entry-level to practice issue. Because you talk about what do nurses know? And I think that one of the issues that we have had as a profession is that we don't, you know, what is the knowledge base that we have, we are supposed to have? And uh, I'm sort of out of the loop as where, where is the ANA about that at these days? And, but I think it's sort of related. Um, so that's okay. my questions. Okay, so I ho hopefully I'll remember them all. But I think... Um, I think in terms of how nursing can be more fully portrayed is, first of all, make a show where nurses are characters. The Nurse Jackie depiction was, you know, really great. The Eve Payton from ER depiction was really great. She had an RN, PhD. It was in a different scene where we saw that. So, first of all, it's hire some nurse characters, and then you can portray them. In ER, they had the physicians going to Africa and doing all sorts of things. You know, they can... You can do anything with drama. It's all made up, right? So it's just a, you're only limited by your imagination. But first, hire the nurses. I, can I just add a comment, and, you, and then you can go on? I think some of, the, some of the better depictions we've seen of nursing in the existing media actually have been about nurses not practicing in the hospital settings. For example, call the midwife for the most part, right? They're out in the community. They're public health nurses, really. And they're, they're caring for poor women and people in general who have the health issues that, that poor people have. Um, there have been other shows about nursing in the community. I think there was uh, Frankie. Nurse yeah. Frankie in the UK, which we haven't seen, but was apparently pretty good last year. Remote area nurse Remote in Australia. Remote area nurse Australia. in Australia from about 10 years ago. So, and I think there, there have been some others as well where nurses are kind of yeah, practicing there, there's outside. There's Outlander of, on, on the yeah. air now. What is that? Uh, stars on the Stars, stars Network, yeah. a new show called Outlander. I think often when nurses are outside of the hospital setting, I think maybe what you're getting at, I agree with, it's easier and more likely that their autonomy will be portrayed because there's no physician character for the creator's assumptions that physicians are always in charge of everything and do everything that matters. They're not there. So. But as in the Nurse Jackie clip, we saw her make autonomous assessment. She made that assessment. She decided to make the assessment. She found something that the physician didn't see. That was all autonomous. She went after the physician. That was autonomous as well. It was her decision to go after him and pursue him. Um, and, you know, sadly, she did not prevail. But that was all her decision-making, her assessment that drove her decision. So you can really portray anything. Um, Sorry. Did you? Hello? Okay, hi. Um, Oh, I was married to a nurse, because <laughs> I don't know how much that means. But, but the thing I remember, I'm not married to her anymore, but um, the thing that I remember the most was her coming home crying and not being able to communicate with doctors. I mean, serious problems where she felt people had died because she couldn't get in touch with them in time. By the time they... Uh, reacted. They had to make the order or the prescription or whatever it was. They had to 
the person was dead. And she, this happened over and over again in her experience, where people had either bad outcomes or they had died because of the communication between the nurses and the doctors wasn't good enough. Okay, um, but my question is, is, has there been a, I don't know the statistics, you probably do, are there many nurses now that have become doctors? And is there a bridge there? Is there any way you can, it, has that communication improved? This was, you know, years ago, 10, 15 years ago. But has communication between nurses and doctors improved? And have you reached out to doctors that have, were nurses at one point? And is there a way to bridge some of this by having people that have, have both knowledge bases, both experiences from both sides? Well, uh Nurses, if they're going to go on for an advanced practice degree, are 100 times more likely to pursue graduate education in nursing than they are in medicine. So some nurses do go into medicine, but they have already embraced the nursing model and are much more likely to continue you know, to stay within the nursing model and pursue an advanced practice nurse degree. I sort of thought that, but, is there right. a, is, but are there very many that have actually made that bridge and no... And well, I mean, I have seen, I have met some myself, and when nurses become physicians, often they uh, do um, relate better to the nurses because they have an understanding of what it is nurses do. That's what I'm thinking. So, that, I mean, what, that, we that need they could be a bridge that they people like that could be a bridge between the two professions because to me it seems like they're the, the professions are very at odds with each other. Right. Well, doctors want to keep their power, and the nurses are actually increasing their power, rightly so. I mean, I, they are much more professional now than they were 30, 40 years ago. They have to have much more technical knowledge. Uh, so, well, so do physicians. So, I mean, everyone grows with right, technology right. and more education, whatever. But nurses still did autonomous assessments, decision-making, uh, intervention, education, advocacy for years ago. But you're saying it's a small night, minority of people that actually have that, that, that experience oh, of that. both sides. Oh, right. But, I mean, I think we could have a better relations between the professions if physicians did the Dartmouth nurse shadowing that, that program. That seemed like a really good idea. Right. That That's was like an the, excellent. They the need best to first thing I heard tonight. Learn what it is nurses do Absolutely. to save lives because otherwise they just think we're their servants, which but is not helpful. We've also talked about nurses, um, the importance of nurses speaking up more. I think a lot of times physicians may not, no one's told them about nursing. And so who's, who's in the best position to do that? nurses they work with, but because of the power disparity, right, there may be, it may be difficult for many nurses to do that. But I think that's a critical part, too. I mean, obviously, nurses have part of the job, too. So. Right. Sorry, yes, ma'am. Oh, oh, Ms. Teresa has the microphone. Oh, you've got it. Great. Um, so as kind of part of your nursing out loud or nurses speaking up, what efforts have you made to have nurses who are in a position of power speak out and show um, their competence? So my, I'm you know, I live in D.C., so I'm most familiar with the D.C. model. In Congress, we have Eddie Eunice Bernice from uh, Texas and Karen Bass, who are both on Congress. You hear congressmen lift, lifting their hand every time. I'm a doctor, so I'm an expert on it. Nurses, less so. Well, we ha <laughs> What yeah. efforts have you made? I'm sorry. Right. I mean, we have encouraged nurses to go into politics, and we think this is very important. Um, but uh, we don't have a nurses in politics office or anything, we, you know, we leave that to the other organizations or individuals. Is your question broader, though, to include yeah, it's any a broader, nurse in so any how power? how are you encouraging be... these people who are already in power right. to speak out? And, you know, how much of that is a cause and effect piece? You know, if, if the media sees them in power, right. 
then will they depict them? I, I think one thing that um, we've done, that especially you has done, have done, is to create a database of nurse experts and to try to encourage the media to consult nurse experts about issues that they know about, because there isn't as much of that consultation as we'd like. We've seen a little more with the Ebola media, which is very encouraging. Um, but much more can be done. And we've also, we know some of those experts, and we know some of those people in power. And in general, we've encouraged people to try to be nurse-identified, to try Sometimes I think there's an incentive if you're a powerful person, and we've seen this time and again, not to really play up the fact, you know, like... The, the, and Greg Mortensen, Greg Mortensen three, the three, two cup, cups, three cups, cups of two tea cups guy. Of tea, He's whatever. a nurse. Many people don't know that. He doesn't really lead with that. If you drill down into his bio about 10,000 words, you might be able to find it. Many people, once they get in a position of power... I think it's natural. I'm just guessing, and I don't know about him personally, but you'll see this in people in leadership positions in government and the private sector. They bury the fact that they're a nurse. They bury it because I think they think it's going to undermine people's sense of respect for them. We have encouraged those people to be nurse-identified. When nurse experts appear in the media as experts, sometimes they're just identified as PhD or doctor, someone, which I think will say to most people, oh, a physician. So right, we which encourage takes them, credit away from nursing. Yeah, to say RN, PhD, to, to let people know, oh, wow, you're an expert, you know about stuff, and you're a nurse. I think that, that addresses it. So. You're a doctor, not a nurse. Can you hear me? No? Yes, yes, yes. I went to um, undergrad in something that didn't get me a, a great job, and so I went back to school for occupational therapy, and I remember a boyfriend when I was 23 doing that, getting my master's, saying, oh, you're going into a pink collar profession and I yeah. still 20 years later I still remember that comment and you know being it was <laughs> so it's amazing how those kind of comments can make you think twice about going into a profession that I I love now you know and it and it gave me a skill it gave me good income and and I kind of but it's it was interesting that was just one point and then um the other thing I just would mention is that we also as you know, not a nurse, but maybe as part of the nursing program, you should shadow the doctors. So there's a two-way street. So you can also, you know, they're learning about us, and we're learning about them, and we have a respect. We have a fellowship program at Union Memorial Hospital that the fellowship, the hand surgeons come and learn from the therapist once a month on different topics and how we treat certain things. And that has created a lot of professional communication with us and these young fellows who are you know, 26 and at the beginning of their career. And there's, you know, education for both of us is, makes it much more fun to work together. So. Yeah, that sounds fine. <laughs> Did you want to say anything about pink color? Oh, I was just going to note that that's sometimes been called the pink ghetto, actually. And we were aware of at least one um, piece by an employment consultant. Was it Chicago Tribune some years ago? Where she was advising people how to escape the pink ghetto and avoid it at all costs because you need to move into fields like law and advertising, you know, that matter. Right. So, so who exactly is going to provide the nursing care, the occupational therapy, right, the right. teaching? Yeah, you know, right. Teaching, are... teaching's another pink ghetto, right. Like, it's not clear who's going to train the lawyers and advertising people, but I guess that's another issue. Or keep them alive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why we have uh, been happy about the increase in number of men coming into the profession, because where men go, so does respect. But, you know, we think the, the first wave of 
in my opinion, you know, the feminist struggle was the vote. And then there was the struggle for women to be able to do the jobs that men have long done. But the next wave really needs to be for the jobs that women have long done to be given the respect that they have long to serve. Okay, last question. Hi. Um, you, we, you touched on this earlier about Ebola like a shift, and I wanted to, I just, I wanted to ask, explore that a little bit more. I don't know if it's the media channels that I listen to, but um, <clears throat> my observation, the first when that the Texas situation came out, and they, the nurse, you know, assessed somebody, didn't tell, didn't tell the doctors, whatever. And as soon as I heard that, I thought. I bet she wrote it down somewhere, and somebody didn't read it. I bet it's in some computerized system, and somebody didn't click on that page. And then, sure enough, nurses, from what I could tell, nurses started speaking out, and it gets, seems to me, a higher level of media attention. And now more and more, as various, as this has progressed, it's been a lot, there have been a lot of nursing spokespeople out there explaining you know, the evidence-based practice situations and the kinds of situations that they have met in, in, in practical frontline um, hospitals tackling something like Ebola, sort of, none of us have been very well prepared for. So, again, I, you, I don't know if, is that a change? Is that something that you observe as something that's a good thing, or is it, is it sort of um, just sort of the flash-in-the-pan situation? Um, but I just think, I, I'm just surprised to hear so many nursing spokespeople as opposed to physician spokespeople, as, even as opposed to the, you know, the heads of the hospitals, so... Yeah, we've been pretty thrilled with how many nurses have been speaking out about uh, the Ebola crisis and uh, the nurses who have been wrongly blamed for supposedly, you know, letting it get out of control. Supposedly they were to blame for getting infected um, when it was the protocol that was extremely weak. Um, but also, yes, the number of um, nurses, not necessarily spokespeople, I'm not sure profession can have a spokesperson, but just leaders like the media calls you up sure i'll talk on the you know radio i'll speak in front of the camera so i've been thrilled with how many nurses have been willing to first resist the blame that's been laid at their doorstep because i don't believe it has been deserved and also to speak up to advocate for the profession and more you know strength yeah i think you make a really good point about whether it's a flash in the pan i think we've already seen nurses who are maybe getting a little ahead of it as far as saying, oh, now we're guaranteed a seat at the table. Now we're going to be listened to. Well, it could easily be in two months. There's no long-term change. We don't know yet. I hope it signals, you know, at least as part of a wave of longer-term change and that we can look back and see. But even when, I mean, this amazing one example I can give you, even after there was all this discussion when Nita Pham was released from NIH recently, right, one of the nurses who was infected, the, the photo really was worth a thousand words because she was escorted out of NIH and all the photos at her first press conference. Um, and there's some good elements like the physicians were embracing her, to, of course, to show that it's okay to embrace someone who had Ebola, treat them as a human. All white coats, all physicians. Here's a nurse who was infected with Ebola, caring for you know, an Ebola patient, obviously illustrating that nurses are playing this really important role in caring for Ebola. And she's released in the sea of white coats, no nurses, as far as like people celebrating her recovery, 
you know, that just was just, you know, unfortunate. Right. Yeah. Signals, who, who are the people who really got her through this? It yeah. was the, the photo indicated that it was the physicians who yeah. pulled her through. So and the nurses who undoubtedly took care of her got no credit in that, in that photo. Yes, sir. Can I just add, sorry, to interject yeah. Yeah, sure. the whole Ebola situation. Um, as counterpoint to that, the nurse who was quarantined in New Jersey, the whole thing that broke over the weekend, um, I really encourage people to read her statement. I mean, here is a very strong, articulate, educated. She's not only a nurse, but she's an epidemiologist. Went to work with MSF, and she basically called out the governors of New York and New Jersey um, on what they were doing. Right. Very, very powerful stuff. So that's what we need. I mean, right. Yes. This was know, in the, the Dallas newspaper, right? From her knowledge base, yeah. evidence, science. I mean, what was what's really, I, I was thinking about this, again, in relation to Ebola. The problem is, like, the American public isn't really even listening to the physicians, right? So Fauci, <laughs> the, the head of the CDC, yeah, has been right. going on CNN, et cetera, talking about this, but what is the American public's reaction? Yeah, well, Fear. you... You, you've Paranoia. noticed there's, very there's something happening on Tuesday of next week, and it's possible that some of the reactions you're seeing from the political community relate to that election on November 4th, yeah. right? So, I mean, they don't want to be seen as weak and not reacting yeah. to this yeah. apparent crisis. So it, they may not think it's in their interest to react in a measured way and just say, oh, the public health people are saying I should do this. I mean, their constituents may or may not want to hear that, so... Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming. Um, we'd like to thank Harry and Sandy. If you bought a book, Harry and Sandy will be so happy to sign. And thank you again for coming. Thank you.